Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. I'm glad you joined us today on Sunday, July 4th, 2021. Last week, we began a new series entitled Matthew's Messiah. You may have heard of Handel's Messiah. Well, this is the same Messiah, except that it's from the eyewitness record of the disciple Matthew. He used to be a tax collector. He became a disciple and an apostle, and he wrote the Gospel of Matthew. So this is his account of things that he was aware of. So let's go right to our episode today. We're going to dive right in. You know, Memphis, where I'm podcasting from, has a lot of kings. Unfortunately, this is the location where Martin Luther King was assassinated. But on a happy note, it's also where B.B. King became famous, the great blues guitarist. And there's two other people competing for the title of the king in Memphis, Elvis Presley, and the wrestler Jerry Lawler, the king. Hey, I want to tell you a story I heard one time. A real wise guy from the city was driving through the south, and he saw an old-timer leaning back in a chair against the wall of a general store, and he was whittling on a piece of wood. So this uh, this really smart guy in a convertible Thunderbird decided he would have a good time. So he yelled out, Hey, old-timer, any great men ever born in this little burg? The guy whittling the wood never even looked up, but he said, nope, only babies. (laughs) Think about that. Matthew is going to describe the birth of a baby who was born not as a prince to become a king, but a baby who was born as king. That is completely unique in history. Well, as I mentioned earlier, Matthew, whose Jewish name was Levi, was basically a collaborator with the Roman government who occupied Israel when he lived. And as a government insider, he would have known a lot about things that we're going to talk about here in a few moments. But Matthew had a problem. As a tax collector for the hated occupying Roman government, Matthew had no friends. The Romans didn't really like him, and neither did his Jewish countrymen. Matthew had no friends until Jesus came. Matthew was called to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He became a disciple, he became an apostle, and he was privileged to write a gospel. He wrote the gospel of Matthew. It may have been the first gospel, but if not the first, it was among the two earliest gospels. And you know what his message was to the Jewish people and to the world at large? The King has come. That's the title of our episode today in Matthew's Messiah. The King has come. Now we're going to see in a moment, I'm going to give you, we're going to read the text in chapter 2 of Matthew, but I want to give you the context first. And it's very important to approach the Bible this way, because when we have the proper context, we can understand the text that we read and not operate on a pretext, which is like reading into a Bible passage what we want it to say. So let me give you the context, the environment 
the historical space that chapter 2, that we're going to read in a moment, that it occurs in. What we find is Matthew is talking about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we find that when he had been born, that the kingmakers in the Middle East, the wise men, the magi, came to Jerusalem. And these were people that today we would liken them to political analysts, campaign strategists, just real know-it-alls about kings and politics and government. And in the Middle East, they had everything to do with who became a successful king. They were often consulted by kings. They advised kings. And for no apparent reason to the people in Israel, they showed up without any announcement in Jerusalem, and then they showed up in Bethlehem. What is going on here? Well, as kingmakers, they wanted to know what was going on as well. They went straight to the top. They went to the king of the Jews. But Pastor Ed, baby Jesus was simply baby Jesus. How could he be the king of the Jews? I'm not talking about the Lord Jesus Christ here. I'm talking about Herod. Herod had been given the title, the king of the Jews, by the Romans. That was his title. And he was installed by the Romans in around 40 BC. And he was a fantastic administrator, a prolific builder of civic projects. For example, he built Herod the Great's temple to which Christ came. He built a stadium around Jerusalem or in Jerusalem called the Hippodrome. He built seven formidable fortresses in Israel to protect his kingdom. He even created an artificial port city off the coast of Israel and named it Caesarea and uh, built it in such a way that it had a safe harbor that would serve Israel. He even was promoted not only to rule Israel, but to rule parts of what we would call Jordan, Lebanon, and Syria today. So that's a little bit about Herod in terms of his political ability. He was fairly well respected in that regards. Well, guess what? The kingmakers went straight to the king of the Jews, Herod the Great, to find out about the king of the Jews who had just been born. Now, you need to know something else about Herod. Herod and his family, the the Herod dynasty, so to speak, they would outrival any mafia crime family, period. You, you could do a mini-series or a TV series on these guys, and it would be just as popular as some of the most popular mafia crime family movies ever made. The Herod family, as I mentioned, was put in charge of Judea in 40 BC by the Romans. And you know what the Herods did? The Herods made sure the Herods stayed in power, pretty much like political families still do today. There was only room for one king at a time, and that would be a Herod king. And right now, it was Herod the Great. Maybe they even had a motto. I made this up, but maybe this is how they thought of what they did. Government is our game, and power is our aim. 
<laughs> that would definitely describe this family. Now, Herod even became a polygamous king. He had 10 wives. And to make it even more complicated, he had 10 sons who were all princes in line for his throne. And if a problem came up, it was probably a people problem within his own family. And the way Herod dealt with problems is he just killed somebody or even hundreds of bodies. And I'm not exaggerating on that. This is what William Barclay said about Herod. Barclay is a, was a theologian. This is what he said. I'm quoting him. He had no sooner come to the throne than he began by annihilating the Sanhedrin. That was the ruling council in Israel, by the way. He slaughtered 300 court officers. He murdered his wife, Mary Amney, and her mother, Alexandra, his eldest son, Antipater, and two other sons, Alexander and Aristobulus. Hey, this Herod the Great had plenty of fresh red blood on his hands. It's just like it is today in many places in politics. Nothing changes. It just gets worse and worse and worse in human government apart from God. Now, here's something else you need to know about the context. Across the Near East, what we would call today the Middle East, there was a great expectancy of a coming king or a great man from Judea. The Roman historian Suetonius wrote this, there is spread all over the Orient an old and established belief that it was fated at that time for men coming from Judea to rule the world. Tacitus, a Roman historian, hey, what can I say? The Romans loved historians. Well, Tacitus said this, there was a firm persuasion that at this very time, the East was to grow powerful and rulers coming from Judea were to acquire universal empire. Now, these people were pagans, essentially. Where did they get this expectancy from? Well, I think they got it from Daniel the prophet, the Jewish prophet, when he was given detailed futuristic prophecies about Israel and the world, and he learned from God, and he told this in his book, Daniel, and no doubt the Magi knew all about this because he was well respected in the Middle East, even by people who were not Jewish people. Daniel told of a coming government that would obliterate all other governments and this Messiah King would rule the world. Also, among the Jewish people themselves, based on Old Testament prophecies like Daniel, they were at a feverish pitch regarding the fact they believed the Messiah was about to come and free the Jews from the occupying Roman army. Now, you also need to know something else. Matthew, as a gospel writer, quotes from more Old Testament scripture and Messianic prophecies than the other gospel writers do. And we're going to see many of those today. And one reason he did that was to tell his own people 
the Jewish people, that their long-awaited Messiah King had come. And Matthew wanted the world to know as well. Now we're going to read some of those prophecies right here in chapter 2. I'm not going to reference back to the book and chapter they're out of, the prophet, but you can use a reference Bible or even go to something like Bible Gateway and easily find where these came from. But the Jewish people would have known them. And by the way, because we're going to study this text in the context I've given you, you are going to appreciate it more than you perhaps ever have before. In Matthew chapter 2, let's go there. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men, that, that's like the Magi, wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Now, you have to remember, by the way, that Herod had not been born king of the Jews. He had been installed as a, as a puppet king of the Romans. So they want to know where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. So the idea of worshiping this king clearly implies that he was unique. He was not a human king. He would be the Messiah. He would be God in human form and they had come to worship him. Now what about that star in the east? Well, there are many ideas about what that was. One thing's for sure, whatever it was when they saw it while watching the heavens, they remember the prophecy, I believe it is in the book of Numbers, that a star would arise in this area and it would signify that the Messiah had come. So they knew about that. And this is one of the reasons, this is the main reason, obviously, I should say one of the many reasons, it's the reason is what I mean to say, that they came to Jerusalem. Verse 3, When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Hey, you know when the king's upset? Everybody's upset, especially a murderous king like Herod the Great. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. Well, these chief priests probably had served at one point as a high priest. They were definitely religious elites. The scribes were the teachers of the Jewish law. So these were the uppity-ups, the probably fairly wealthy people, the elite people in Jerusalem, and he wanted to know from them, hey, where is this Christ going to be born? Now, you know, that's interesting. If he had been the real or a real king of the Jews, a real Jewish worshiper of God, he would have known that. But since he actually was Arabic, he was from Edom, which was not from uh, the line of, of Jacob and Jacob's 12 sons and all of that, he didn't know. Now, he may have put up a pretense of like being a God worshiper. Oh, yes, I love the Jews, all that. But it was just all window dressing. It wasn't real. He had no idea and really no interest where the Messiah would be born. But if he apparently had been born, he was a threat, right? So this is why Herod is paying full attention to these wise men. Because remember, they were the political kingmaker experts in the Middle East, and he knew that. 
So he wants to know where Christ should be born. Verse 5, And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. I have the mental image, almost like one of those 1940 movies where where the wise men, and it wasn't just three of them probably, it probably was many more. Sometimes we think it's three because they're going to give three gifts to baby Jesus. But it may have been 13 or 23 or 300. We don't know how many it was. We're never told. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. So the picture that I have is that 1940s movie where they're in an interrogation room at the police department and there's a good cop, bad cop, you know, good detective, bad detective who are cross-examining them and interrogating them. And you know that that one lonely lamp is swinging in the middle and it's right in the face of the suspect. That's probably how the the kingmakers, the magi felt because Herod was saying, all right, all right, you know, it was, it was 18 months ago. What, what month was it exactly? And what day? And was it in the morning or the evening? You know what he was doing? His best to cross-examine and interrogate them to determine exactly, exactly, exactly when they had seen this star so he could work backwards and figure out where he needed to start killing babies. You know, I think if Herod was alive today, he would be on the board of Planned Parenthood. What do you think? Verse 8, And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Doesn't that just make you feel warm and fuzzy inside? Well, these guys were not idiots, and I think they realized that he had no intention of worshiping them, but God's going to make sure they know in a moment, and you'll see that. And uh, verse 9, When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoice with exceeding great joy. Now I'm going to give you a highly technical Southern word for what they did. They went bananas. They were so excited. Whatever got their attention way back, probably around the city of Babylon, somewhere in that area, whatever got their attention, now this star has their attention again, and it leads them literally to the house where the young Jesus was. So they were very excited. Now, verse 11. Now, by the way, if they actually find him when they go to Bethlehem, he's still there, then Mary and baby Jesus and Joseph have moved into a house, thankfully, amen, instead of staying in the manger. If they have already left Bethlehem, and stopped by the temple to present Jesus and gone on to Nazareth, then they weren't in Bethlehem at all, 
and the wise men would have had to go then to Nazareth to find him. Either way, wherever he was, he was no longer in this manger. He was in a house. So although I know why we do it at Christmas, we show the wise men coming to the manger, and it's a beautiful picture, and we're kind of compressing the whole story into one beautiful picture. By the time they got to him, Jesus was no longer an infant, a little baby. He was a little older. We don't know, six months, a few months, a few weeks, a year old. We have no idea about that. But it is interesting, as we're going to see, that two years is very important. Maybe they saw the star, let's say a year ago, 18 months ago. We don't know. They began to make their way, and by the time they get to Jerusalem, some time has passed. We can say that for sure, and we're only guessing about how much time. So, verse 11, and when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, you would think that they would give them to Mary and Joseph, Mary, the biological mother of our Lord, but Joseph, not the biological father, because Jesus had no biological father. He was born of the Spirit, right? And a virgin birth, we know that. Every gospel agrees on this when they touch on this. Well, you know, Matthew and Luke do. Mark and John do not go that far back. So as we look at the New Testament, there's no doubt Jesus was virgin born. But they don't give the gifts to Mary nor to the caretaker father, Joseph. They give them to the baby, Jesus, who was born as a king. In fact, he didn't become a king just when he was born. He already was eternal God and already king. And they give him the gifts as the king. And I'm not going to go into what the gold and frankincense and myrrh represent. You've heard that before, or you can look it up. But these were very expensive gifts. And you listen, in the Middle East at that time, and I would say still, you would never visit a great leader or a king without bringing gifts. It simply was not done. So they recognized him as this Messiah king, and they worshiped him. Now, we don't worship kings, although everybody in politics would love to be worshiped, right? We worship God. They were worshiping this baby, Jesus, as God. Verse 12. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And you know, that is good operational security right there. Don't go back the same way you came. <laughs> I mean, God got them out of there safely, and they would not reveal to Herod exactly where the Lord Jesus was. Well, let's see what happens. Verse 13. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream. And by the way, this obviously is how God communicates with Joseph. 
The angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. Now, I love this picture because I have it in my mind. Once Joseph hears this warning from God in the dream, that he wakes up and he says to Mary, maybe something like, Mary, get up, we've got to go. Get baby Jesus, get what you need. We've got to go now. And he safely removes them from either Bethlehem, which that may be exactly where they still were, or Nazareth. But either way, he leads them to safety following God's warning in the dream. Now, why did they go to Egypt? Because in Egypt, they could hide out safely it is estimated that the Jewish community living in Egypt could have been at that time as many as a million Jewish people. Even if it was only hundreds of thousands, far safer than Bethlehem or Nazareth. Amen? So that's where they go. And if you were to put it in terms that even I could understand, I was raised outside Fort Benning in a city called Columbus, Georgia. And within Columbus, Georgia, is a small mill town called, called Bibb City. It's not very big, and there are not very many people in it. Let's say, let me use that analogy. Let's say the Lord Jesus Christ had been born in a place like Bibb City, which he actually was in Bethlehem, in Israel. If he needed to be hidden safely, maybe he would be taken to Atlanta, Georgia, because there's a lot of places to hide and a lot of people to hide among safely. So you get that idea? So Jesus is removed safely to live in Egypt until God tells Joseph to take Mary and baby Jesus back to Israel. Joseph was a magnificent caretaker father for the Lord Jesus Christ. He took care of this family. God picked exactly the right man for that job. All right, so let's read. Let's go back to 14. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod. Now, in the Greek, what it says there is basically and was there until the end of Herod. You know, all the people in government and other places that trouble the people of God, one day on this earth, they're going to come to their end. End of the road, baby. And nobody's going to care what they think or say anymore. So it says there, and, there, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, out of Egypt. Have I called my son? Now, here are two prophecies that we've seen fulfilled, right? Well, actually, three the star prophecy, then the prophecy that the Messiah King would be born in Bethlehem, the city of David, the kingly city, and he was. But how can he be born in Bethlehem and also be called out of Egypt? Well, we just saw how and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the, of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. 
Verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, they tricked him, they outwitted him like a dimwit. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Wow. So he figured out, and probably just to play it safe, he said, kill the babies. Some people think it was the the male babies. Some think, like it says here, <coughs> all the children. But Herod killed the innocents. This was the slaughter of the innocents, the murder of these innocent children. Now, how many were there? We don't know. Bethlehem was very small, and Nazareth was not very large either. But he, but he went to Bethlehem because he thought that's where the Lord Jesus still was, right? And we don't know how uh, all of that played out with the wise men, but Herod went straight to Bethlehem. And he had the babies under two, two years old and under murdered. This could have been a few babies. It could have been 20, you know, 100. We don't know because it was more than just Bethlehem. It was around it as well. Now, Matthew makes a point here. Verse 17. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. But when Herod was dead, he died, amen? But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Now, that's a great comfort to my heart right there. Even when you feel like you're so far out somewhere that nobody knows where you are, God knows where you are. God remembered exactly where he had hidden the Lord Jesus Christ, Joseph and Mary, right? But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. That's beautiful. I love that. Verse 21, And he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. So there again, another prophecy is fulfilled. Hey, listen, if you're a Jewish person today and you're not yet seeing Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah King, 
may God begin opening your heart and mind because prophecy after prophecy was fulfilled that it would have been impossible for baby Jesus to to fulfill them himself. And this is just the beginning of prophecies being fulfilled and Matthew is going to count them off as he goes through his gospel. Now, I want to wrap up chapter two in this way. I want to make it very personal for all of us. Bethlehem was only about six miles from Jerusalem. And I think there's little doubt that the shepherds who were raising the flocks of sacrificial lambs in Bethlehem for use at the temple of Herod that was only six miles away, that they, we know that they excitedly told everyone about their visit to the manger and the angels and baby Jesus and that he was the savior of the world. We know this. The Bible says that. I think that they probably also told the religious leaders in Jerusalem. Wouldn't that make sense? Because that's where they were taking the lambs for Passover and they did business with the religious leaders? I mean, that never actually occurred to me until this weekend, that part of that. And I think they did tell them. And then, of course, the, the Magi, you know, came later and told them that the Messiah King had been born in Bethlehem, right? Remember that? It was only six miles away from Jerusalem, now, we know that Herod didn't go, right? But of all people, the religious leaders in Jerusalem didn't even go. They didn't go six miles away to find out about the Savior, the Messiah. Why? Because they had it pretty good with things set up the way they were politically and religiously in Jerusalem and hey, why upset a good thing, right? There's no record that any religious leader even bothered to walk, ride, or even skateboard six miles to see the Messiah. Now we get that Herod didn't go because he hated the Messiah. He hated Jesus. But you would think that the priests, the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, everybody who was anybody in the Jewish religion would have gone six miles away to find out about the promised Messiah. They didn't even go. But the wise men did. They traveled, no doubt, hundreds of miles and when they got there, they met Jesus Christ personally and worshiped him. I think it was a complete life-changing moment, not only for the shepherds on the night Jesus was born, but for the wise men when they worshiped before the King of the Jews, the true King of the Jews, the Messiah King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there may be people listening today that if you're very honest, you'll say, well, you know, actually, I'm more like Herod. I don't care about Jesus. He's a threat to me. I don't even like him. 
Well, I'm glad you're listening today. There may be others of you that are very religious in some religion, maybe even a Christian religion. Maybe you even are a religious professional within the Christian religion. But the truth is, a real live King Jesus creates problems for you. And yeah, you, you say the words, you talk the talk, you hang out with other religious people, but hey, let's not get fanatical about this Jesus stuff. And in your heart, you're, you're saying right now, yeah, actually, that's the truth, Pastor Ed. I mean, I'm not really against him. I'm just not sold out to him. Okay, I'm glad you're listening. But you know what? There's a few people listening right now that I would call modern wise men. You're the wise guys and gals. You are realizing that I don't know this Jesus, but I want to know him. And many of you have already met him and worship him personally. And that's simply great. And for you, last two groups that I've just mentioned, as you continue with us, you're going to grow in your knowledge of Christ. And many of you will actually come to receive him as your Messiah King. And many of you that already know him as your Messiah King, your Savior and Lord, you will grow more deeply in Christ and love him more passionately and you will witness for him with more excitement. Amen. Listen, if you're in that group where you want to know Jesus Christ, I'm going to give you a phone number to call. You won't be calling me, but you will call a ministry which will share with you about Jesus Christ, and they'll help answer questions you may have. You may even come to trust Christ when you talk with one of these counselors. Here's the phone number, 877-247-2426. 877-247-2426. You see, with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your Messiah King, you can know for certain that you will live with Him forever in eternity, and you will not have to face an eternal hell. That's why Jesus came to deliver you from your sins and to deliver you safely into heaven. Now, maybe you're a little shy about calling, then chat. Go to www.chataboutjesus.com. Chataboutjesus.com. Well, listen, I'm glad you've listened today to This Week in the Word at dredhill.podbean.com. Go ahead and follow us, subscribe, and be notified every time I post a new episode. Thank you for listening, and I hope you will share this with other people as well. So thanks so much, and we'll be back again, if the Lord allows, next week with the next episode of This Week in the Word. Thanks for listening to The King Has Come and joining us in our study of Matthew's Messiah. God bless you. And may you have a great week. That's my prayer for you. God bless you. Bye-bye.